0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Don't you uh, love being able to sing Christmas songs all year round? I love Christmas songs. The only thing that would be better is if they had state fair songs, you know, then I would really be. I reminded Allison the other day we're past the halfway mark now we're we're on the uh, we're on that we're on that track. Well, uh, look, I'm starting off light, but it's a heavy day. Uh, it's a heavy day for the Moody's. Um, unless the Lord intervenes, it, these may be Callie's last days, and we just want to be praying for all of them. Uh, the family is there, uh, as Ricky said, and. Um, Just pray for grace and mercy for the Moody's. Callie is a ridiculously strong fighter, so she may be here for a long time yet. Um, But life has just beaten her down. And um, it has a way of doing that. Some of you feel very beaten down this morning. And the message is straight from God's heart to you. Uh, it's about hope. It's about the right kind of hope. Uh, the songs this morning, look, I came in as discouraged on a Sunday morning as I've been in a long, long time for multiple reasons. Callie is just part of part of that. Uh, and the singing just lifted my heart and spirits. As I was reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I'm going to start off this morning asking you a multiple choice question. You have the entire sermon to answer this question. There may uh, be uh, an equal distribution of answers. I'm going to give you my answer fairly quickly. Here's the question. I would rather have a financial security. And when I say financial, look, financial security doesn't mean what it used to mean. (laughs) We, financial security means really financially secure. I heard somebody or read someone saying uh, not long ago that being a good steward now means making sure you have sufficient money for retirement for your family, Uh, rather than giving. Ricky was talking about giving. Um, Not many people give. One of the things I've noticed, I'm going to preach a whole sermon before we get through these questions. I, I know that's the way it's going to be, but... Um, One of the things that I've noticed is that generous people always seem to have enough. And no matter how much stingy people have, they are some of the most miserable people you'll ever meet. Uh, And oftentimes they lose what they have. But even if they hang on to it, it it really is in control of them. It's not so much that they're in control of their money. But financial security is important for all of us. I had nothing for many, 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 many years. And now have so much more than I ever dreamed that I would have. And the more I have, the more I'm tempted to make certain that I'm okay. Money just it, it has that effect on us. But in America, if you're going to be a good Christian man or woman, you better take care of your family. You better you know, be secure, and that means not giving too much. So financial security, or be a soulmate for my many years on earth. That would be, uh, for a lot of people, C, hope, D, exceptionally good health. I'm sure you know that the answer, I've already given you the answer, it's C. But I want to confess, in my flesh, I would choose the other three ahead of hope, if for no other reason, just to say that I want hope more than anything else implies that life ain't so good, and that maybe someday it will be better. And in fact, when we talk about hope, that's what a lot of people assume, that we mean as believers, I have hope, I have faith in God. What is your faith in God? That this life is going to be better? That things are going to, your health is going to improve, your financial situation is going to improve, your relationships are going to get better? That's not biblical hope. Many, many times God does those things for us as sort of a, a foretaste of heaven. That's a, and it's a beautiful thing that he does. But if our hope is in other things, or if our desire is for other things, we're in trouble. Money may not buy happiness, but it can sure make life a lot easier, can it? It's a whole lot easier when you have more choices. If you have someone who loves you as much as you love her or him, you can face whatever life throws at you. long as we're in this together, That's what you think when you're 21 and 25 and 30, you know. Whatever life throws at you, if we love each other, it'll be all right. And, And it is true to a large degree. Good health? Look, if you've got your health, you've got everything. That's what they say, isn't it? But there are no guarantees with money, with earthly love, or with health. Money can disappear far quicker than it was earned or given. Much quicker. The love that you have for your spouse may grow deeper and sweeter through the years, but there is a reason that we pledge to love one another until death do us part. If you are blessed with the best health of anyone who has ever lived, and you live to be 130 years old, you are still going to spend a lot of time in the hospital either for your own issues or with someone that you love. And even if you live to 130, you are going to die. Or worse, as far as relationships go, your best friend, your spouse, or a very dear friend or family member may betray you. You know, you you really can't, be betrayed unless you love someone. A lot of people can do you wrong, but you're only betrayed when you love a person and you never see it coming. What then? And what about hope? If hope is confined to your days on earth, it doesn't count for much either. But when you are blessed with hope as it is defined in scripture, well, Look, all the others combined don't come close to what that hope means. Hope in Jesus is better than having all the other options combined. But even the most faithful believers have difficulty overcoming the temptation to pursue temporary security measures or pleasure, the pleasures of life. We tend to pursue those things above the life that, awaits us in eternity we're told over and over in the new testament seek those things which are above not on things that are on the earth for these things are temporary those things are eternal uh look you may reject my conclusion out of hand or maybe you're waiting to be convinced and if that's the case I hope that you will not take my word for it but I do hope that you will take God's word for it as we see it today if today is your first day here, it will be helpful for you to know that we are in a study in the book of Isaiah. This is not the easiest book in the world. It's not the easiest book to jump into. But look, whatever, wherever you are as a Christian, if you're not a Christian and you become a Christian, you're going to jump in somewhere. That's just the way God designs it. We jump in and sort of figure it out. You know, you're swimming around saying, okay, what's going on here? And finally you get the... And, and, and when you get there, when you figure it out, please don't look at other people who are just coming, just jumping in saying, "Uh, what's wrong with you, you know, over there. The Lord is gracious to put us in the right place and then to help us figure out what's going on. Don't get discouraged. And, and, and don't think, you know, I went to that church and I really didn't understand much of anything. If you want to understand something every single time you open Scripture, you're in for a bad time. Because Scripture doesn't work that way. There's a lot we don't understand now. I see verses now that I think, how could I have never seen that? Or how could I have seen it so many times? And I don't get the beauty of what God is saying in this book. It takes time. It's okay if you don't understand it all. That's a way of saying that This is complex and crazy, and you're never going to... No, that's not it at all. I hope you do. I don't think any of us would think it would be best... Maybe some of you would, but I think most of us would not think it's best for us to spend three years in the book of Isaiah, as magnificent as it is. So there will be large chunks of text at times. Uh, It's not that I or the others who preach these texts will address all that is found in them. But uh, that's the way it's going to be announced as the text for the week. For instance, last week I preached from Isaiah 7, verses 1 to 17, although Isaiah 7 and 8 were the text, I, I think I changed it everywhere except on the title slide last week. But we were in Isaiah 7 and 8 last week, whether you knew it or not. Today we're in Isaiah 9 and 10. Next week in 11 and 12 probably, although I may break 11 and 12 up. So please at some point just read all the way from Isaiah 7 through 12. And if you've got a study Bible and you're willing to take some time doing it, do that. And it's going to take you a while if you go from Isaiah 7 through 12 and read what is said about it in the study Bible. But it will be worth your time. Isaiah is one of those books in the Bible that will take us everywhere else in Scripture. A proper study of Isaiah's prophecy is a great way to help us understand how the Bible works and how the individual parts in the different books of the Bible work together as a whole. I will remind you often that that there's this prominent theme, recurring theme in Isaiah of bad news, good news. And sometimes it seems like the bad news outweighs Uh, The good news. The majority of Isaiah 9 and 10 describes God's judgment on his people and on those who persecute his people. And as you think about that, remember, I can't tell you how meaningful it was for me just to hear the phrase about two months ago of how the Bible has this theme all the way through it. And it just, because my understanding of Scripture has grown so much. In the last several years, first of all, it lets me know that I don't know anything about scripture as my understanding grows. But as it grows, this makes perfect sense to me. God's glory in judgment, in redemption through judgment. God's glory in salvation through judgment. That's it. God is glorified just as much in judgment as He is in our redemption. So understanding that helps helps us to remember that God's glory is being seen, even if it's, it feels harsh and it feels difficult. But Isaiah 9-7, 9 verses 1-7, to 7, the portion of Scripture that we're going to read this morning, is very, very encouraging. And that's where we're going to spend just about all of our time. Isaiah 9 verses 1-7. through 7. It's our custom to stand as the Scripture is read, so I will ask you, if you would, to please stand. Now, just for a little bit of context, I didn't have time. I wanted to put the map back up this week. I'll put it back up next week, probably, if, if there's time. But just for context, uh, Israel and Syria, who were north of Judah, were attacking Judah because Judah wouldn't join them in their fight against the Syrians. So it gets compl- kind of complicated politically. But there was serious concern in Judah. They were about to be attacked from everywhere. Moab, the Philistines, they were all... And I'm doing the map for me, not for you. Uh, it's on the wrong side. If, if you're, but they were being attacked from everywhere, and so there was great concern. And then out of the blue, just, immediate, just suddenly, Isaiah says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt For unto us, I'm sorry, for to us, I just want to say unto all the time. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. Thank you for your promises and thank you for reminding us when you promise with passion, with zeal, you will carry out those things. Lord, for those of us who know Christ as our Savior, and that's of no uh, benefit to us as individuals to say, I was smart enough. We weren't smart enough. Lord... It is only of your grace and mercy that you have saved us. But for those of us who were saved, your word is a good word and it's an encouraging word. We pray that you would this day burn it deep in our hearts. And that we might love you more fully as a result. And Father... We do pray this morning for the Moody's. And and Father, they need this hope, this encouragement. This life is not all there is. And as we are brought face to face with uh, Callie's uh, impending step into eternity, Lord, our hearts are broken and rejoice at the same time. And so, Father, even with this uh, reality of existence in our hearts, may your word encourage us with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you, NBC. Well, I'm just going to take a little time to explain what's going on in Isaiah nine verses one to seven, and then we'll find helpful application in our text. Uh, in Isaiah 9:1, God promised to a region of Israel whose people He promised like to this region of, of Israel, whose people often were the first to be attacked by invaders from the north. That's where most of the invasions came. There were some that came from the south to Judah, but in in the northern kingdom of Israel, Assyria would come over, Babylon would come over that way later. And they came from the north, and Zebulun and Asher and Naphtali were in the northern parts of Israel, and thus they were often uh, the first to be devastated. These were lands that were absolutely destroyed uh, when attackers came. Then Isaiah proffered, Prophesied, Rather than gloom, a great light will come upon Israel. Next week in Isaiah 11, Isaiah is going to talk about uh, how Israel and Judah will be reunited. Isaiah 9-2 is quoted in Matthew 4 uh, as the prophecy that foretold Jesus' extensive light, His ministry and light in the land of Galilee. When he arrived, there had been no prophetic word to Israel for 400 years. Now, if you read the Gospel of John, you're going to read about a whole lot of Jesus' time in Jerusalem. But that was the exception. Most of his time was spent in Galilee, which the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about. His ministry in Galilee. So it's like there's this great darkness. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, the light, burst onto the scene. The news in, in verse 3 is cause for joy. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. What happens when nations in that day, what happened when nations in that day were attacked? Did their population grow or shrink? It shrunk considerably. If Especially if it was a, an army that was more powerful than the ones who were defending the land. The numbers would shrink. And people would wonder, are we going to be able to survive as a nation? And Assyria was particularly good at making sure that people did not survive as nations after they had uh, overtaken the land. Uh, But God's people were told, now you will be multiplied. The nation will multiply. There is great Joy. Uh, even though Isaiah spoke more about the inclusion of Gentiles in the God's covenant family than almost anyone else, I'm sure he would have been surprised to understand exactly how God's plan was going to work. He would have been startled by Jesus' crucifixion, but he would have rejoiced <coughs> at the resurrection, and he would have said, Of course, of course, I should have seen all this. And he did write Isaiah 53, right? He should have seen the crucifixion and resurrection. But I think he would have gone all dark brown, you know, and back to the future as he witnessed God's plan unfold for the nations. Amazing! That's a very poor imitation. It'll have to do. You know the idea. After pronouncing joy to the nation, which was on the brink of a devastating war, Isaiah gave three reasons for this increase in joy. First, first in verse 4, God promised that he would break the yoke of the oppressor, Assyria. Yokes, you know, were iron or wooden bars that were attached, that attached two oxen to each other. And, you know, you used it to, to guide the oxen in, in, in the work. But the Assyrian kings especially like to boast that when we take over, we're going to put a heavy yoke of burden on this people. I, I've told you this already, but the Assyrians were some of the worst actors in history, ranking up there with Mao Zedong and Stalin. And if you don't know who those two are, please look it up and prepare yourself a little bit to understand the horrors of totalitarian rule. They were brutal to both their own people and to the people that they defeated. Isaiah promised that the oppressor's yoke would be snapped in two in a moment. In chapter 10, which is part of today's text that we're not examining, God pronounced further judgment on his wayward children. But then he encouraged them, that you may think, I'm not sure how this is really encouraging. He encouraged them by saying, but the people who, who punish you, by I'm going to punish you by these people. But the people whose hand I use to punish you will be punished far worse than you. I love you. This is me trying to bring you back to me. But those who do you wrong, I will take care of. One thing you can know for sure. Someone who does you wrong in a big way will not get away with it. We don't always get to. I know we... we, I'm so grateful that things are coming to the light that have been in the dark for a long time. But sometimes it just doesn't work out even though you try to expose it. And people get away with horrible things that they do to us. They will not get away with it in the end. All accounts will be balanced. And that's cause for joy. The second cause for joy in verse 5 is that all war will come to an end. Trust me, that's what it means in in verse 5. Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. No more war. Isaiah says this over and over. The day's coming where Christ will rule, where the Messiah will rule as far as he understood. And there will be no more war. We're still waiting for that day, are we not? We won't see it until Jesus returns to the earth. But his delay is not a cause for discouragement. Jesus is the third reason for the joy that will suddenly exhilarate God's people, as Isaiah prophesied. Who did the Jews expect the Messiah to be? Did did they expect him to be divine? Or did they think he would be someone who was infused with divine characteristics and traits? Uh, I I, I cannot see that that the Jews expected the Messiah to be divine. Remember, one of the primary reasons that the Jews wanted to kill Jesus was that he made himself equal with God. We don't always understand. You know, you may read something in in the New Testament in the Gospels and all of a sudden people are picking up stones to throw at Jesus and you're like, what, what did he say? Well, they understood there were certain language that they considered code language. Jesus was saying, I am God. God is speaking to you. And you should listen to me. In fact, you should worship me. They didn't like that. They didn't expect... I can't see that they expected Him to be divine. But it's hard to see how they missed His divinity when you read Isaiah seven fourteen, Isaiah 9, 6, and Daniel 7. The name Messiah contains the idea of one who is anointed. God's anointed one. The Jewish people expected the Messiah to be a conqueror of Israel's enemies because the government would be upon His shoulders. He would rule. So this is just one of those ways that we see that there are two different times that Jesus will come to the earth. One, to be the suffering servant and die for sinners. And two, to put all of his enemies to the sword and to separate his people from those who are not his people and then rule the earth with full righteousness and peace. Surely Isaiah knew when he wrote what we know as Isaiah 53, that he was writing about the Messiah, who he would call the servant of the Lord, though his amazing descriptions of Jesus' rejection, crucifixion, and resurrection must have puzzled him greatly. He's like, I think this is about the Messiah, but I don't get this at all. He's beaten beyond recognition as a man. God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's also likely that few, if any, understood that the Messiah would be divine. Probably Isaiah didn't know that either. Again, I'm not sure how they missed it. Although I think Isaiah and all the people who believed in Jesus did so by faith. And it was like... Of course, of course, I get this. Nicodemus examined Jesus carefully and came to the conclusion that he is indeed who he says he is. And I have been talking with God. The description in uh, Isaiah nine six of the one who would deliver God's people point to the Messiah's divinity. We'll examine the names of Jesus in just a few minutes. But before we move to application, I I want to look briefly at verse 7 where Isaiah promised the weary and fearful people that God's chosen one would establish a kingdom that would expand and the peace of the kingdom would expand as well. It's still in the future, but we can rest assured that a kingdom in which righteousness and justice will be the norm is Going to come. It's why we can confidently proclaim Jesus in in an atmosphere in which any kind of exclusive ideas about salvation are rejected strongly by the culture. We know that this will come. Therefore, preach Jesus. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. It cannot be stopped. I hope in this study that you are either learning or being reminded about God's character like I am. Uh, There are three things that I want us to think about that today's text teaches and reminds us about God and the ways that he works in our lives. The first one is this. God's plan often seems quite deliberate or slow in taking shape. But when he moves, he does so decisively. quickly. Ever seen this to be true in your life? Let me explain a little bit. In in the same way that Isaiah seems to go from extreme pronouncements of judgment to glorious light bursting on the seams, so the nation of Israel went from 400 years of God's silence to the light of of the world breaking into the darkness. Think about it. For 400 years God was always speaking to his people. Ever since Moses, he was constantly sending his prophets. And and King David was writing psalms. And all the way along, then the voice got softer and softer. There were these great warnings. and, And even in captivity, God's prophets were speaking. But then, nothing. Nothing. For 400 years. And then... Jesus. I remember the day that Jesus burst into my life. If you were saved when you were later, or if there was a time in your life where you said, you know, I think I've missed this all along. I've been a Christian all my life that I can remember. I've always believed in Christ, but there was this moment where it became so real and important to me. Even so... Even with this light of Christ bursting in, just invading my life. There have been dark days as a believer, some of which will find a sad place in my memory until the day that Jesus wipes away all tears. But so many times in my life I have found Psalm 30 verse 5 to be true in the way that God works in my life. Weeping may tarry for the night. You know the rest joy comes in the morning. There seems to be a pattern in believers' lives in which sadness and darkness reign for a long time. Then immediate joy. And that's even at the end of life, by the way. Some of you have debilitating health issues that are probably never going to get better. There's going to be a day where all of a sudden you're going to be bursting into light. If sweet Calic goes to be with Jesus soon, there will be great sadness for us But there will be immediate joy for Kathy. Immediate joy. I thought over and over, especially in the early days after my wife died, Linda, died. You know, if the Lord said to her, tell you what, Linda, you know, this is the way that it works in movies. This ain't true, but this is the way it works in movies. Tell you what, Linda, I'll give you a choice. You can stay here or you can go back and be with your family. She'd say, uh... Wow, what are we doing next up here, you know? What's going on? She's not coming back. The joy is going to be that complete, that real. Do you remember the parable in Luke 18 where the widow pressured a judge to give her justice against her adversary, and the judge finally gave in. He said, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so show that she will not beat me down by her continual coming, or so she will not drive me out of my mind, is what he was saying. In telling the parable, Jesus encouraged believers to pray Look, there are points of comparison and there are points of contrast between God and the judge in this parable. Both are there. Uh, But he encouraged his followers to pray. But he also revealed something about God's ways when he gave application uh, to the parable by saying, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. I read many years ago that the word speedily does not imply that he will do it immediately. When you pray, it's like, boom, just like that. God is not Santa Claus. Santa Claus is who we have made in our image. We want him to be that way. God is who he is. And this does not imply that he will answer our prayers immediately. But what it does mean is that when he begins to move, he will move quickly. You ever seen this happen? I mean, have you ever been without a job for weeks, months, or even years? And then all of a sudden, you don't even know how it happened. You're working in a good place. Have you ever longed to be in a relationship? And just when you begin to lose hope, God brings this amazing person into your life. You ever been faced with impossible challenges that have been in front of you for years and they dissolve in a moment? I have. I've seen it happen. Why does God deal with us this way? Well, I don't know for sure. Maybe it's to build our faith. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus closed the parable in Luke. 18 with this question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When Jesus returns, it will be like light bursting into the darkness of our divided and contentious world. Hold on to Jesus no matter what is going on in your life. And be encouraged to know that he is holding on to you, which is far more important. But he wants us to hold on to him in faith. I want to speak to one more issue that Jesus referenced in, in the Luke 18 parable. This is important. There is both, uh, as I've already mentioned, contrast and comparison between the judge and God in this parable. Just as the woman went to judge to the judge to find relief from her oppressor, we are reminded that we must. Trust God to be the one that judges those who do us wrong. Even as we pray for their blessing as we are commanded to do in the New Testament. Most of the words of imprecation or imprecatory words, that means words of judgment, are are given in the Old Testament. The Psalms you read things like, Lord break the teeth of my enemies. Just like a lion whose teeth are broken is in bad shape break the teeth of my enemies don't let them do me harm let their children be fatherless and don't protect their children either those are the things that you're like what you know I, I don't know that I can deal with this in the new testament most of the word is is pray for those who persecute you and mistreat you badly pray for them and do not curse them um There is a very strong purpose. Maybe we'll talk about that somewhere in Isaiah. I'm sure we'll have opportunity. There's a very strong purpose for all these imprecations, these these words of cursing, these words of condemnation and judgment. Look, one thing I hope Isaiah will do for all of us is to get over the idea that God is an all-shucks kind of a God who just lets things go. He really overlooks things. God is holy and righteous, and those who do not believe in Jesus are his enemies. That's the way it is. Do we treat them as his enemies? No, no. He knows better. Look, when someone does us wrong, we cannot exact measured revenge, whatever that means. We cannot say, all right, I'm just going to wait, and then I'm going to get you back without doing significant damage, significant damage to our souls. We're just not made to do it. Even in the Old Testament, when you've got all of those harsh words, David is praying for God to do this, to defeat his enemies. He's not saying, give me strength, Lord, let me just crush them down. He's saying, you do it. Twice he had opportunity to kill Saul, said, I'm not doing it. The Lord will take care of this in His way, in His time. But the fact that we are incapable of exacting revenge, so think about it. Think about it next time before you tweet. Should do it like that, shouldn't I? The next time, think about it the next time before you tweet, before you post. Saying, this is unconscionable. These people ought to be. God tells us that now that Christ has paid for sin, our attitude towards even those who do us wrong is to be very different. That's why we're told in Romans 12, 19, which is quoting Deuteronomy 32, 35. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. See, you're not saying leave it to God to overlook He's saying, leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Quoting Deuteronomy 32, 35. Um, Apparently didn't finish that one. As Sean Cross says, perhaps we are never more like the Savior than than when we are forgiven our enemies. Amen. That moves us to our second application. When full and lasting joy... Is what you most desire there is no substitute for Jesus all of those things that we talked about at the first we think will bring us lasting joy we think will be the things that will do it for us uh, but they don't our entire text today is pointing to both Jesus time on the earth as a suffering servant and to his reign when he comes again in power we presently live in the great in between the already not yet even though followers of Jesus often suffer consequences for the decision to live as his disciple even so the New Testament writer saw purpose and intimate relationship with Jesus as benefits uh, or blessings of suffering rather than develop this thought uh, with my own words though the Holy Spirit will do a much better job through the words of 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-9. So let's look at that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. That was- one that we want, that, that we're constantly trying to get, that kind of inheritance right here, but it really doesn't come until then. Two, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's a good word. And it prepares us for our last point. The one who has entered our reality and is with us, Emmanuel, God with us, is greater than any problem we have because he is God and he loves us. He loves his children perfectly. The names that Isaiah assigned to the Messiah were written in the context of impending doom. Syria and Israel were attacking Judah and a faithless king was leading God's covenant people astray. Even so, Yahweh was going to bless His people with a perfect ruler who would bless them in a way that revealed Yahweh's love for them. How? With a baby who would rule perfectly and forever. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be Upon his shoulder. Who is this king of glory? The Old Testament asks. Who is this king of glory? Isaiah gives us his name. Wonderful counselor. Instead of Ahaz, fear-based, politically motivated decisions. Jesus will be a wonderful counselor. Full of wisdom. If you're tempted to live only according to the conventional wisdom of the day. If you're disconnected from history, if you're disconnected from other generations, regardless of which way it goes, you will, in the end, find yourself disappointed, disillusioned, and embarrassed. Because the Bible is not an antiquated set of rules whose day has passed it by, has been passed by. It is the timeless wisdom of God. Mighty God, in fact, is his name. If indeed Jesus is mighty God, how can anyone stand against him? In the book of Revelation, uh, you would think that those who are being punished by God would turn to him in repentance. Instead, they curse God and do not repent, nor do they give him Glory. Again, God's glory in salvation through judgment. That struck me when I thought about that that verse in Revelation. I was all over Revelation uh, this week as I was preparing for this message. So I don't remember exactly where it was, but I think it's in Revelation 9. God poured out His judgment and they cursed God and did not repent they did not give him glory. And then I thought about Achan. Remember when Achan had sinned and he was about to be stoned along with his family? And, and Joshua said, Son, give God the glory. Tell the truth here. God is glorified in the truth. God is glorified when everything is set right to the way it is. And God will set things right. Is there anything too hard? For God, if God is for us, who can be against us? Everlasting Father. The Messiah will not be a mere human who will, who will grow old and die. Of the increase of his government in peace, there will be no end. You may not be able to see past your problems right now. You may only know the beginning and how your problem has progressed. But Jesus is the Alpha. Omega, he knows the end. And even if God does not move quickly on your behalf in this life, he is for you, with you, and one day he will move quickly to put all your sorrows behind you. And if you have repented of your sins, and you have trusted Jesus' death on the cross as a substitution, as, as a sacrifice for your sins... And you have this assurance. You will live with the everlasting Father forever. This title is likely a response to people who would say in so many words, as Assyria would come in, in modern day parlance, they would say, Who's your daddy? And God said, I'll show you who's your daddy. (laughs) God mocks the insolence of arrogant and sinful people, but he tenderly promises eternal life to his people. I don't know about you. Here's what I'm seeing today. The fact that God chose me. I'm not... I'm not worried about fairness in the way that we think about it. I am so grateful. I'm so grateful that God brought an unworthy, miserable sinner into his family. The Prince of Peace. For most of us who have never experienced anything close to war, uh, this may not be as meaningful to those of you who have experienced the horrors of war. As some of you have. Or or as those who heard this title for Messiah in Isaiah's time. Even when Isaiah promised the Prince of Peace would come. The people knew that the fulfillment may be delayed uh, until after Messiah arrived. Which could be centuries. While we must wait for Jesus to return. We have to wait to to receive the full benefits of his abiding presence. To live in his presence. And think about what Revelation says. There will be no need for the temple. There will be no need for any light. Because Jesus is the light. We have to wait for that. But we do not have to wait for peace. Here's what I pray for you. I've prayed this for several of you lately. When you're going through stuff that is just overwhelming, I pray for the peace of God that passes understanding, the peace of God that doesn't make sense. Even if you don't know what that looks like, I don't know what it looks like. I don't think it means, mm, always. It could mean that. Helps if you've got a stomach, you know. <laughs>
1: just
0: rest in there. I don't know what it looks like but it is a sustaining indication of His presence that somehow, in spite of the craziness going on all around us, gives us peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 promise that if you bring your request to the Lord with thanksgiving, that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding Will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That phrase, in Christ Jesus, makes all the difference in our lives, in the world. It doesn't make everything right right now, but it lets us know everything is right, no matter how bad it seems. Isaiah was looking forward to Jesus when he prophesied the one who would be greater than all our problems. He was looking forward to the Messiah. Didn't understand Jesus, just like John the Baptist said, "Uh, I'm in prison, I've been pronouncing the kingdom of God, please go and ask him. Is he the one we should look for? And Jesus pointed back to Isaiah over and over saying, just tell him what you've seen. All of this was prophesied in Isaiah. I'm doing it. I'm the one. But it doesn't look like we think it ought to look. Some of you were saved and thought, all my problems are done. You know better by now, most likely, unless you got saved yesterday. I got bad news for you if you did. I'm happy. No, I got great news. This is awesome. But one day, we'll all be to the place where the only hope we have is Jesus. Is he enough to sustain us? Yes, He is. He is our anchor in rough seas, our calm in the storm, our strong tower to whom we run. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I want to close this morning with the last two verses of the Bible, Revelation 22, verses 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it has been good this morning to soak in your word. And truly, sometimes your word makes us uncomfortable. But there are healing properties that we know we desperately need. Because we are a broken people. But we are a redeemed people. Who have the assurance that you are in charge. And that in Christ... All the riches of glory are already ours. May we remember that when we are in need and in want. May we remember that when relationships are broken. May we remember that when we feel like life is overwhelming. This day, Lord, as we anticipate the return of Jesus Christ, we recognize our opportunities to bless those around us. And as Ricky said, uh, Lord, this is just one of those seasons It is really not typical where we are being asked to give many different uh, levels. And Lord, today we do this every Sunday, this benevolence offering. We pray your blessings on the gifts of your people who desire to help those in need, especially those in our family, in our church family, but Lord, those outside of it too. Uh, May we be Christ to others in many, many different ways. And this being one of those great privileges in which we have to do so. And so we lift up this offering in the name of Christ. We lift up our hearts to You on the basis of what You have told us in Your Word and say, Lord Jesus, we're Yours. Amen. Would you remain standing for the benediction? Our
1: eternal hope christ i'm going to uh end our service today uh, from the john's words from two different locations in the bible and it kind of gives us a summary of uh what brad has gone was explained to us from the book of isaiah and i also repeat a little bit of it by accident in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god all things were made through him, and without anything, or without, without him was not anything made. In him was life. The life was the light of men. This light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which lightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. In fact, uh, crucifixion and ultimate resurrection. And then from the book of Revelation. Jesus' words to John in heaven. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us all, and all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from
0: Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.